you know, I, I felt the Lord uh, put on my heart that um, uh, the, the place that he wanted me to be tonight was in the book of Haggai. Um, one of the minor prophets, um, 12 minor prophets, uh, Haggai was one of the, uh, one of the last of, of the 12. Uh, the three that came after the exile were um, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then, of course, the New Testament, we have John the Baptist, which tells us that was the, the last of the Old Testament prophets and, and the greatest of them. <clears throat> so tonight we're going to be speaking um, about Haggai. Uh, you know, it's funny. God never changes. God knows all things. And he puts them in his love letter to us so that we can learn. Did that just start? Wow. That's, that's pretty crazy. So anyway, God puts us all in the puts all these things in the love letter to us, known as the Bible. It's our instruction manual. It shows us how to live, um, gives us encouragement, gives us cha- chastening when we need it. All those things He puts in there for us. So many times we can look at the Bible, and we can think that it's something old, ancient, dusty history that really means nothing to us today. But really, what it is is it's current today as current today as it was back thousands and thousands of years ago. So God doesn't miss anything. God knows everything. We'll see here tonight that he writes down the things that the people were saying. He knows what they are. Not only that, but he knows the things that are in our hearts. And that's even more scary because I know what's in my heart, at least some of the things in there. And it's kind of scary to know that those things are in there. And and some of those things come out. each one of us is different, but I'm sure you know there are no perfect people uh, in here. Um, in fact, I know there are no perfect people. Christ was the only one. So um, we all go through these things. So what we need to remember is that as God saw these people back then, he sees us today also. Okay. Um, another thing is God is uh, very meticulous in the notes that he takes. Okay. He has everything written down. Um, every book is basically timelined. We may not always know how to figure it out, but for the most part we can. We can figure out by the kings that were annotated from Israel and, and Judah. Um, tonight we'll see he does the same thing, but there were no kings in Judah at the time because they were in exile in Babylon. So we see that he uses another king, a, uh, a pagan king, a heathen king, a, a, a Gentile king. Um, so I'm going to uh, do both chapters tonight, hopefully. Um, I'm going to read the first chapter quickly through, and then we'll start in uh, chapter 1 of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell, or is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. 
You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Father, I pray that as we open your word tonight, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak, Father, that... Uh, that it wouldn't be my clever words, Lord, but it would be the things that you desire to uh, speak to your people here tonight, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you have your way with my lips, Lord, and that uh, if anything escapes, Lord, that you don't want, Lord, I pray that you would change it before it reaches the ears of your people. So, Father, uh, we thank you for being with us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... As I said, God is a, a meticulous God. So we see here that he dates this book um, as the, the second year of King Darius. Okay, the second year of his kingdom in the sixth month of the first day of the month. Now, that's the first of Elul. Now, the, the Hebrew calendar, kind of their, their months kind of cross between two of ours. So this is either... Um, August, some people say it's August 29 of the year 520 B.C. that this was written, and some think it was September. I'm not smart enough to figure all that out, but we'll say just for, uh, for grins, it's August 29th of 520 B.C., uh, which would be the, the month of Elul. So the first thing we see is that it's dated. So we know that it actually happened. You can go to extra-biblical records, and you can see when King Darius was the, the king of Medo-Persia, and um, you can check that out. Now, the other things that we want to see in here are the people that we're talking about. The main people in the story are Haggai. We don't know much about Haggai. We don't know if he was born in the exile in Babylon or if he was born in Judah before they went to Babylon. One way, he would be more than 70 years old because they were there for 70 years. And he would have probably seen Solomon's temple in Judah at that time in, in Jerusalem. Um, others think that he was born in captivity in uh, exile in, in Babylon. 
doesn't really make a difference to our story. He came back with the with the people that came back into the land. Uh, the other people we see are Zerubbabel. Okay, we see that he's the son of Shiltiel. What we don't see here is that he's the grandson of the last king that was in Judah, and that was uh, uh, Jehoiachin. So, um, so he is is sent back as the governor. Okay, so he's in the Davidic line of the kings, but he's not being sent back as a king. He's being sent back as a governor. So they didn't want the uh, the king there opposing the king that sent them. So he sent back as a governor. The other person that we see is Joshua. Okay, Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So he's the grandson of the last high priest that was in uh, Ju- uh, Jerusalem at that time. So those are our three main players. And then the remnant of the people. Now when... Babylon came in and took all the people away. The ones that they didn't kill, it it was massive, the amount of people that that were killed. But the ones that were taken away as captives probably numbered in the hundreds of thousands. Okay, so they went off, they drugged them away in chains, and I think they, um, I don't know whether it was them or the Ninevites, somebody, but they would put like fish hooks through their jaws and really cruel and and, and heartless. Uh, I don't know if that was these guys or not. But um, anyway, all of those people went away. Hundreds of thousands of people went to Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. (coughs) So um, (coughs) what we see, the the historic story for this is Ezra. Okay, back in uh, Ezra 5 and Ezra 6. That's the backstory for this. That's where uh, Haggai's name is mentioned. The only other two times that he's in the Bible is in Ezra. Uh, so we'll kind of skirt back to Ezra in a few minutes. So those are the key players. Um, and the, um, the governor represents the civil authority over the people going back in. And the high priest there uh, represents the, the spiritual authority for the people. So they have both over them in the land. Now, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Which is kind of funny, because you would think that with all the prophecy that's in the book, Jeremiah prophesied that they would go off into captivity, they would be there for 70 years, Isaiah said the same thing and said, you know, at the end of 70 years, they would be taken out in Isaiah uh, 45. Um, And then Daniel reads the part of Isaiah where he says that um, Cyrus is mentioned in there. And he tells King Cyrus that you're mentioned in this book hundreds of years before you were ever born. The Lord mentioned you by name, said he would give you great power and everything. So all these things are laid out there. So the people seeing all this should happen should understand that they're in the center of God's will going back. Now, the people that went back, you would think it would be everybody, but they've been there for 70 years and they've kind of made a life there for themselves. Some of them were doing probably really well there, making lots of shekels or whatever their coinage was there, but they had houses there. They intermarried over there, some of them. Some of them just married uh, other uh, Hebrews. But... They had quite a life there. So to leave there and go back to a land that was going to be desolate because they saw it as the older people, as they left, they saw it was decimated. Everything was destroyed there. There was nothing left. 
okay, and hardly any people there. The few Jews that were left around there intermarried. They became Samaritans. They were the mix between whenever a conquering people came in, they took out the people of the land and they brought people from another land and put them in there, and they moved people around that way so the force wouldn't kind of grow back there again. So the Jews that were left there intermarried and became Samaritans. We see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman, going through Samaria and all those things. So <clears throat> the people that did go back were the people that really loved the Lord and were really on fire for the Lord and wanted to go back and rebuild the temple. They wanted to go back and rebuild the city and the walls and everything. So these, these were people that were on fire for the Lord. And they went back there. They you know, knew that this is what they were doing. They got the decree from King Cyrus in the year 538 is when he actually gave the decree sending them back. That's the year they went back. And for two years, they didn't do anything. They just kind of like sat around. Then in 536, they started clearing the land. You can imagine it was just a mess for 70 years, you know, brambles growing over the rocks and all those things. Put the, the stones of the foundation in place. And then after that, they didn't do anything for two more years. Now, I think during that time, it doesn't really say here, but in Ezra, it gives us more information that there were things going on. It was hard work. As they're doing this hard work, there were big stones that they were making the temple out of that they were putting down. Um, they didn't have the tools. They had to make the tools and things like that. I'm sure they brought some stuff. The money, they got um, money from uh, King Cyrus sent, you know, and said to the, to the governors in the land to fund them what they needed, but I'm sure they were kind of tight with the purse, spring, purse strings there. So all of these things were... The personal problems, you do it this way, no, do it that way. Who's the boss here? But, you know, all those kinds of things on the workplace floor that go on, plus the enemies, the Samaritans wanted to come in and help, and they probably said, no, we have, you know, you have no part of us here. This is us, you know, you're half-breeds and all that. And so then they got angry, and, you know, they started wanting to battle. We hear Nehemiah, when they were building the wall, they worked with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand because the enemy was after them the whole time. The same thing here. So these things are going on. So it wasn't a, a nice, pleasant thing, you know, little umbrellas, and they're working a little bit, taking some time off. This was hard work, okay? And they're probably thinking back, I left all this stuff in, in Babylon, you know, my big house I had there and the income I had coming, and now I'm here. You know, they probably started to question themselves, and they, I think, grew cold towards the Lord. And what happened was they lost their motivation to do the work that God called them to do there. And th the reason I think that's relevant to us today is you can look around at the churches today and you can see the people in the churches kind of lost the zeal for the Lord. Um, not all of them. There's the remnant as there was the remnant there. But I think what ha can happen is we can get our priorities wrong. Is we can start looking at the things that we need to do. They were looking at as we'll see in the next uh, sentence there, the Lord says um, they didn't build the house for him. The word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Now these houses were not just houses that we see in, in the Bible stories of, you know, the, the stone walls and then the boards across and then the, the, uh, the grass on the roof, you know, and things like that. These were paneled. These were like uh, really nice houses that they made there. They weren't just a uh, quick throw something up. These were, they spent a lot of time on these houses. And this is what the Lord is saying here. It's like, so how do you know it's not the time to build the Lord's temple, the Lord's house? 
How do you know that? How do you reckon that? How do you know these things? You know, you know the prophecies and you know that you were sent back there to do this. And of course, there's all these different things that are going on that make it hard. And sometimes we think we're not doing the Lord's work the Lord's way if opposition comes against us. And that's not necessarily so because Satan doesn't want us to do that work. So he throws opposition our way. What we have to do is know that we've heard from the Lord and keep doing that work. Keep pushing on, keep pushing forward. And what tended to happen here was they just started to give up and thinking like, we're not getting anything done here today. Where's the stuff for today? You know, there's no, you know, we can't find a big enough rock to fit in that hole. And somebody didn't bring the wood to put up because it was supposed to be so many courses of stone and then a course of wood going across and then more courses of stone. It was supposed to be 90 feet wide by 90 feet high and all these things. And, and they're like, we just don't have the stuff. So they got depressed. They got discouraged. And then they just started going home. Well, as long as we can't do any work today, we're going to go home and work on our houses. So that's kind of the, the mentality that was going on there. And the Lord not only hears them saying these things to each other, but knows what's going on in their hearts. They've grown cold towards him, and they think, let's go prioritize and do our, our work in our homes. Now, the paneled houses, they're, they're just nice houses. We don't really know much about that. But when we think paneling, we think of wood inside, you know, the old wood paneling that we used to have, and then it got chintzy, and you got paneling versus the wood boards and, and all that. But if we go back into um, Ezra, in Ezra 3, uh, verse 7, we see that Cyrus gave money to, to be used to bring in parts. Now, this happened with Solomon back in the day when Solomon's temple was being built. David sent money to Sidon and, and, um, and Tyre to have uh, uh, stonemasons send down carved stones. They did all the carving at the quarry. They didn't do it on site there. And, and kind of the, the people thought, well, we've got this stuff before up there, so let's do it again. So send the money up to Sidon and Tyre, and we'll have that stuff down. The, the stone will come down from there, and we'll send money to Lebanon, and we'll have cedar logs sent down. So here in 3.7 of Ezra, it says, They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So we see that logs were sent down there for this. Now what happens is, I think the people used, misappropriated the cedar logs for the temple and they used them in their own houses. You think, well, nothing's happening here, so we can always get more logs. Let's just use these and finish up our houses and everything. <clears throat> so as we read on, again, he's, the Lord is saying, is it time? Is it time? How do we know the times? We're even su supposed to look at the times, right? We're always supposed to look at the times because God wants us to know where we are and where we're going. Okay, so they knew from the prophecies that they were being fulfilled. They stalled out in the middle. Jesus tells us, you know, we're told, uh, I think by Paul, to be like the, um, the men of Issachar, to know what's going on in the times, to know the times and know what's happening. We're told also to 
Christ gave us these prophecies to say that when you see these things happening, if you're not walking by faith, when you see them happening, you'll know that I told you beforehand that these were going to happen. So if you're not walking by faith, when you see these things happening, then you'll know. So God is saying, you don't know. I'm telling you. I sent you back here to do this, and you grew lazy and had all these other priorities, your own houses that you decided to make more luxurious than my temple that was in ruins. So here the Lord says, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Now remember, consider your ways. The Lord knows our hearts, right? He can see inside. He knows everything that's going on in there. The literal translation of consider your ways is put your heart on your road or on your way that you're going. So your heart would be there wherever you're going. So that's what the Lord is saying. Your heart should be where I'm taking it not where you want to go. And that's what these people were doing. They were starting to go off and putting their hearts in different places. And the Lord knew that. I think, you know, we can do things in degrees and we don't realize what we've done until we're way far off the mark. That's why a little error from Scripture, we can get off and we think it's just a little bit, but eventually we are way far away from where the Lord wants us to be. And that's where these people found themselves. We go on to see that consider your ways Uh, uh, six you have sown much and bring in little you eat but do not have enough you drink but you're not filled with drink you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and he who earns wages earns wages to put them into a bag with holes I think we can still relate to that today, right? We never seem to have enough. The more we work, the more we need. You know, we're, everybody's broke at a different level. You know, uh, the, I think the Amish had this thing, the, the harder I work, the behinder I get. You know, all those kinds of things. It's, it's a, something that happens to everybody in the world. You know, not too many people have enough of everything. But this is what's happening to them. And then we see in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider what you're doing. Understand what you're doing and how you're deviating from what I want you to do. So he tells them, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. So he knows that they used the wood that they had there, the cypress wood from Lebanon. He knows that. That's why he tells them now, go up to the mountains and get the wood. So you have to work. Okay, you have to be intentional. Your priority is to follow me and what I'm telling you to do and to do that. So this is kind of like, as Tony's been talking to us, I don't know how many of you have been here on Sundays, but last Sunday, a father and how he uh, chastens his son. Okay, that's to get us to go in a direction. To, the, the fathers have all these tools in their toolboxes to, to bring a son to where he needs to be, to grow into a man. Okay, we, we don't use the hard and heavy-duty tools unless we have to. And we see here, we'll see that God is causing all these things to happen to them. Okay, they're planting, and they should be getting a lot more than they're getting. They should have more oil, more uh, wine, more uh, everything, and we see that they're not. So he tells them to go up to the mountains, build the temple so I can be glorified. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home... I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins. While every one of you runs to his own house, your priorities are wrong. Okay? 
they thought the little bit that they did of the foundation, they built the foundation there and that's finished and they built the altar. So they figured, okay, we can do our sacrifices there. Okay, we built the altar and the foundation. We, uh, we can't do any more right now. Plus these letters from the enemy went back and they were told to cease and desist, but God said to do it. So they, they, you know, these were good people. These were people that were on fire. They just got a little lax in what they were doing and their priorities were wrong and they got off track on what was going on. So the Lord is trying to correct them now. He's trying that by making uh, their the produce from their crops and all those different things that they would have brought in less. So they would think that eventually the Lord's not blessing here. Maybe something's wrong. Maybe we're out of fellowship with the Lord. Maybe we're not listening. But they were so dull that they didn't even understand that. <clears throat> okay, so therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withhold, withholds its fruit. For I called for the drought on the land and the mountains on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, even your livestock weren't producing like you wanted, maybe they were sickly, all the labors of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. So now they're starting to understand the correction. Once the, the prophet spoke the words of God to them, they, they got it. it. It rent their hearts. So now they feared the Lord, which they were starting to grow cold in. And they were going their own way. So now they obeyed the Lord. They went up into the mountains. They cut down the wood. They brought it down. <clears throat> So then once that started happening, they feared the Lord and they were obeying. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So there's the encouragement. He wasn't brutal to them. He wasn't harsh, but he was just correcting. His, in his mercy, he was correcting them to get them back on track where he wanted them to be because he had the desire. And so many times, I think even today, we, we think that um, the things that the Lord gave us to do uh, it doesn't really matter if I do it today or not. The Lord gives a command and then he counts the days until we do it. He notes all those things. Remember, he's a meticulous record keeper. So he tracks all that stuff. So if the Lord tells you to do something, and I can think in my life, I know many times the Lord has told me to do something and I didn't do it or I delayed it until I was ready to do it. And I know afterwards... I could see rebuking coming, you know, through that, the things that happened. You don't always know that it's the Lord. Sometimes it's just from our own stupidity that, that things like that happen. But, but the Lord uses those things, and he uses them to try to get us to think about him. If we're not spiritually dull, that's the first thing we do. The first thing, anything goes wrong, Lord, you're my help. You're my everything. What's going on here? Am I doing something wrong? That's the first thing we should be doing. But a lot of us don't do that. I know myself, many times it's the third or fourth or fifth thing, sometimes the last thing that I do. You know, and, and that's what he's trying to, to fine-tune in us, that that would be the first thing that we do in everything. The first thing that we do is go to him and, and, and seek to, to have that right relationship there. <clears throat> so now the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, 
the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius. Okay, so this is, I think, 23 days later. So they've done a lot. They've gotten the wood down, they've gotten it ready, and they're starting to do the work. Okay, now we see on the... um, in the seventh month of the 21st of the month. So sometimes these kind of like, you think, why are they in there? They're all in there for a purpose, okay? We don't always see it, but somebody from a Jewish perspective looking at this would say, wait a minute, the seventh month, that's Tishri, the 21st day of the month, okay, for us that's around October 17th, but for them, it's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's a lot to them. That means a whole lot. That's celebrating God's provision in the wilderness and all that. So that's just coming to an end. And the Lord had just said, I'm with you. I'm encouraging you. I'm showing you the way to go. And now I'm blessing you, or I will be blessing you in a minute. He'll be saying that because you're doing what you should be doing. Okay, so uh, we need to trust in God's provision. We need to trust in his guidance. And that's what they weren't doing. Okay, so the 21st of Tishri, this is the seventh month to the Jews, the 21st day of the month. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, You can see like repetition here constantly. You know, and, and you hear Tony doing that too. It's like because it beats us into us. Sometimes we, we hear it and we don't capture it. We hear it again, we hear it again, finally we capture it. And sometimes we only remember parts of those things. But the Lord knows what we need to, to get it into our heads and into our hearts. So he spoke to them saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Some of the old men that were there that came back that were over 70 years old, saw the, the Solomon's temple and its magnificence and its glory with all the cut stones and inside was all cedar planking, all covered with gold, with jewels all around. And when the Shekinah glory of, the, of God came in there, that glory was shining off everything and everything sparkled and just, I can't even imagine. It's like a picture of heaven, of, of what his glory is going to be like. You, you can't even, I mean, when, when he came back, when he was transfigured on the mountain, when Christ was, remember he was so bright that they couldn't even look upon him. You know, that, those kinds of things, the angels were that way. So you, can you imagine in, in his fullness of who he is in, in eternity, we'll see him. And there will be no need for for sun and stars and everything because he will be the light. So he's asking now, who among you saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Like this was like they didn't have the, the famous craftsmen that Solomon had. Solomon searched the world, got the best craftsmen. The stones were carved in all these delicate and intricate designs and the all the jewels were crafted right, and everything was done to, to perfectly because it was for God. And Solomon was wise and wealthy and put all that money into there. And also Solomon built the Lord's house before he built his own palace. So you see his priorities were right, at least in the beginning of his life. So if we look now where he's asking, who of you saw the temple in its former glory? If we go back to um, Ezra 3.12, 
This says, but many of the priests and Levites, now this is the historic building, many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy or the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So many were weeping because they saw this was a, a measly, poultry thing compared to what was there. And a lot of times we do that now with with our ministries, whatever they may be, however large or small they may be, we compare them to somebody else or something that happened in the past. We've been praying for revivals, the past revivals, and, you know, and, and maybe we may have a paltry little one here. Maybe we'll have a great one. We don't know, but we're not to compare those things. We're not to compare what we do with what somebody else does, okay? But we tend to do that as, as humans. We tend to look at things and think, this is not right, this is right, you know, and, and we kind of balance things out like that. The Lord says, don't do that. I do a new work in each and every one, and I'm the one that leads and guides you. And if your priorities are right, and you're following what I'm saying, that's all you need to worry about, not what everybody else is doing or comparing your work with somebody else. And I know I do that a lot. <clears throat> Moving on, uh, verse 4, yet now be strong. So don't worry about all those things. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. And what better thing could you look for? For the Lord to be with you, that's what we want. Everything else is peanuts, you know, and peanut shells compared to having the Lord with you. That's the main desire, it should be, of all of our hearts, that he would be first in our lives and everything else would be under that, okay? So that's what he's saying. Be strong because I'm with you. Now, this is something that's repeated from back in the time of Exodus. Be strong for I am with you. Joshua, when he took over for Moses going into the land, he heard the rebuke that Moses got from God. And then God said, okay, now you're taking them forward. These guys that haven't listened and cried and complained and moaned and groaned for all these years that he had them. Now you're 100 years old and you're going forth with them for seven years before you die. You know, but I'm with you, so be strong and be courageous. According to the word, I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Be courageous. I am with you. Same to us today. He's still with us. We're his people. You know, that's one thing I forgot in the beginning. He says, the Lord of hosts spoke, saying, this people says, this people he didn't say my people, he said this people, because he saw that they didn't have him first in sight. You see that? Sometimes we can look past words that are in there, and they're there for a reason. So instead of saying my people, he says this people says they think they know the times, and it's not right to build a temple. <clears throat> Is God saying something like that to us today? You know, This people versus my child. Just things to think about. I, uh, there was a lot of, uh, not condemnation, but a lot of chastising that I got from, from just studying this. <clears throat> Verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and dry land. 
And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a, um, a prophecy that we see in Hebrews 12, talking about the tribulation, where anything that can be shaken will be shaken. Okay? So that's what he's talking about here. So we've, we've seen past prophecy. We see a future prophecy here. And he says, I'm going to shake all these things. And all these nations are going to come to the desire of the nations. The desire of the nations is Christ, even though they don't know it. The des- all their desires are him. Okay? All our desires are him. But sometimes we put things on there, like a new house, a car. Lord, you know I need a car to get to work. My desire should be him. He knows what I need, and he will provide. I am the great I am. I'm the becoming one. I become what you need. Christ is the desire, and he fulfills our needs. We ask, and we ask amiss because we ask for these things that we think we need. And he said, he is the desire of all nations. So even though now all the nations around, think of the ones who hate Christians. They're murdering them. They're killing them. They're doing that all in the name of the Lord, but the Lord is the wrong Lord. You know, they, they're doing it in the name of Allah. <clears throat> but someday their eyes will be open and they'll see that um, he is the desire of all nations. And the, he will fill this temple with the glory. So this is the second temple now, the latter temple. The first temple was Solomon's. The second temple is this one that they're building now. Okay. What's going to happen is that this temple is going to be upgraded by King Herod. Herod? Herod. King Herod. <clears throat> He's going to upgrade it and make it beautiful. And this is the one that the glory of Christ is going to walk into. This is going to be the temple after it gets rebuilt and modified by Herod. <clears throat> so that's going to make it different than the one before. The Shekinah glory was there, but back in the Holy of Holies, okay, where nobody but the priests saw it. The one priest that got to go back, the high priest, one time in the year, got to go back there and sprinkle blood back there. That was it. So now the glory of the Lord is going to be walking in and out of the temple. So that's where he's saying that this is going to be even more glorious than, than the previous. And then we still have forward to look forward to the, the millennial temple and then uh, the uh, being with the Lord. <clears throat> now, uh, verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, now we're in December, okay, so this whole um, book of Haggai is about three months long, and we look at what's going on here, we see that the major prophets, the major prophets are called major because their books are very long, okay, there are lots of detail and very long, the minor prophets this is only two chapters. Obadiah is, you know, even less than that. But the minor prophets are just smaller books is all. Okay, but even though Haggai is a very small book, we see in three months he did more out of his three or four messages that he gave to the people than um, Jeremiah and uh, the different prophets back there, the weeping prophets and stuff that, that pleaded with the people before they went into captivity. They pleaded and pleaded and pleaded for years and years that they would repent and turn back to God, and they never did. Even though they're a major a prophet, you know, the minor prophets, this one is, uh, stands like head and shoulders in, in what he actually got done in three months. Uh, 
so that's that's good to know that um, just because somebody says that you're a minor in some way doesn't mean that you're not effective in what you do. So just remember that somebody says you're just a you're just a little ministry. Yeah, a little ministry with a big bang. You know, the Lord's in it. That's all you need. Okay, so now we're at the 24th of Kislev, around 18th of December. This is the third month now. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat, okay, from the sacrifice, they would take that and they would go on uh, to take it back and eat. It was probably all bloody, and I don't know how they got their white robes clean after that. But if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge of his garment touches bread or stew or wine or oil or any food, Will it become holy? Because this is holy. It was sacrificed on the altar. Will it become holy? And the priest answered and said, No, of course not. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of touching a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now remember, they built the foundation, and they built the altar out in front. So they were doing their sacrificial offerings. But the Lord is saying that they're all unclean because you're unclean. What what he's saying here before is if something is holy and touches something that's unholy, it can't make it holy. Okay, But if something is unclean, it can touch something and make it unclean. Okay, Think of passing germs around people with colds and stuff. Don't go near him. <laughs> Things like that. That can be passed, okay? But you can't pass holiness on, okay? So that's what the Lord is saying. When you mix things together, you're mixing things that you're not, you're not focusing on me and all that I'm doing, and you're not listening to me. So the things that you're doing on the altar, the sacrifices that you're doing are unclean as far as I'm concerned. Okay, now in, in 15... Now carefully consider from this day forward, from before the first stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there was but 10. Talking about the minimal things, there wasn't as much as we thought there was there. Um, When one came to a, a wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there was but 20. I struck you with blight, mildew, and hail in all the labors of your hands, and you did not turn to me, says the Lord. So that's what he was saying. When you're doing these things and offering these sacrifices, just like he said before, all these things you're doing, you're not getting enough. You think you're going to get it, but you're not getting enough. Here he's saying it again because of the offerings that you're giving me. I I detest them. I don't like them because you're doing it the wrong way. You're not clean. You're not doing these things. Build my house. So he struck them with the blight, the mildew, and the hail, and all the labors of their hands. You did not turn to me. So again, the chastening of the father. He's doing the easy things first, the minimal things. He's not killing them, which he could do right up. You're not listening. Bang, you're gone. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, think of that, you know. Um, Bang, you didn't get a second chance. Um, But here he's saying gently, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, all around. And then consider your ways. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from the 
before the first stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days, when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? He's asking them a question. And the answer is yes. As yet the vine, the fig, and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not yielded any fruit to this point. But from this day I will bless you. Okay, so now he's saying that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're building the temple now I will bless you because you're in line with me now. We're not at odds with each other. Now we're in agreement and we're going in the same direction. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, um, I will shake the heaven and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. And he's probably thinking, yeah, you, back here in the first chapter you told me that, you know, kind of thing. You're going to shake all these things. But the Lord's trying to impress upon him. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel. Now remember, he's the grandson of the last king of Judah. I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shiltiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, said the Lord of hosts. Now, that's interesting that the Lord says that because back in Judah, before the exile, actually 78 years before King Jehoiakim was captured by Nebuchadnezzar and taken off into uh, captivity, God rejected him. Even if you were a signet ring on my, on my right hand, I'd pull you off and cast you away, he tells us in Jeremiah 22:24. So that's what he said to his grandfather. You're not following me. I'm casting you off. You're no longer my representative. Because the signet ring was the authority and the power of the king. You had that. You stamped things. That sealed the deal right there. Okay. So now the Lord is saying that I've set you like a signet ring. Because you're in the line of David, the, and the, the neat thing about this, there's no coincidence, is God has all this orchestrated, and I just find it amazing to think, I can't follow my way like through eight passages, and here the Lord knows all of history for each one of you, and how all of your lives intertwine with all the lives of all the people that you know, you know, and, and all of that, and he follows that, and he knows how that's all going to work out from the beginning of time to the end of time. And I think, boy, hey, like how do you how do you do that? How do you keep all that together? But he's God and his ways are so far above ours. So we can see. Now, when we think of Christ and his lineage, we think that it's destroyed. There's no more kings in, in Judah, okay? And and the Lord said that the scepter won't leave be between the, the knees of King David until Christ comes, right? So now when we look at this. Uh, Zerubbabel wasn't made king at that point, but he's the last uh, person in the line that joins uh, Mary and Joseph to King David. When we look at it, it goes from Solomon uh, to um, or David 
to Solomon and Nathan, and they go down to Zerubbabel, and then they go out to Mary and Joseph. Now, Mary was the bloodline of Jesus, right, because there was no father. It was God the father. And then the father came in. That was Joseph, and he goes back to Zerubbabel also. So both their lines go back to King David, okay? So when um, the civil side and the law side was Joseph and the blood side was Mary, when they came together, Joseph adopted Christ, and when he did, then he bestows upon him all the things that are in his family line. Okay, so that's how Christ gets back to, to the kingship through, through him. So that's a lot. Um, hopefully I didn't mangle it too much. Um, basically, you know, after we look at this and we see the Lord's chastening and the way he did this with these people back then, he's doing the same thing with us today. The church as a whole has forgotten him, has moved away from him. We're moving away from his doctrines, so many of them. That's why it's good when you find a church that teaches the word and the doctrines of God, you want to stay with them. It doesn't have to be this one, but one that teaches the doctrines of God, you want to be under the teaching because the teaching of the word is what stirs your spirit to do the things of God, okay? That's what we see here as, as Haggai was teaching them and, and encouraging them as the, they were building and everything. It was by the reading of the word and encouraging them along the way. So what we need to do is, are we living by faith? Do we have to see things all marked out? Sometimes in my life, like just selling my house, it's like I needed to like work through all the things. And there's a, a part of that that's true, that you need to count the cost before you build and do things. But sometimes we put a little too much on that, and we want to see everything has to fit just right before I can pull the trigger. That's not a walk of faith. The walk of faith is not seeing the end, but trusting the one who sees the end to lead us that way. So um, I think that's what we need to do is just consider our ways. You know, is our heart on our path? You know, when we look to the Lord and we speak with the Lord, is he happy with where we're going? Or do we need to make adjustments? I know I had to make adjustments. Every day I make adjustments, and I probably need to make more adjustments than I've made. But I think that the Lord, as a, a father who chastens his children, does it in love. He does it in mercy and in grace because he wants us to succeed. He wants us to do great things. And if we follow him, if we stay in close contact with him, if we commune with him daily and be in his word, then he'll use us in, in mighty ways that we probably never think that he would use us. And we may never even see the fruit of that. That may be, like in their case, that may be hundreds of years down the line. Who can know these things but God? Let's pray.